It's podcasting time! My name's Jonathan Isaacson, and I'm just another jerk with a podcast that, if we're being honest, almost no one will listen to. So, you know, I'm not really into social media. I mean, I have Facebook mostly because I live in Japan. I'm fairly certain that if I still lived in the U.S., I would likely have deleted my account years ago. But seeing as I live half a world away from my mother and other family members, Facebook really is kind of the best way to keep up with what everyone's doing because, well, everyone and their mother, quite literally at this point, has Facebook. So, like I said, I use it to... I use it more for looking to see what people are doing. I don't really post much of anything on there. I think last year I posted maybe four times, and one of, a couple of them were talking about, "Hey, we're moving." That's kind of that's kind of how I use Facebook. Don't really use it for much of anything. My wife posts a little more than I do, but not a whole lot. Um, we 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 try to keep our private lives just that private. And, you know, I'm very much against putting my daughter's business out there for the world to see. She doesn't have a choice yet. She's only, you know, not yet three years old. So she doesn't really have a choice about what gets put out there. We do have a private online photo album that only family members can see. So, of course, grandma can see the cute, funny things, the odd things, the weird things that her granddaughter is up to. I think I have a Twitter account. I mean, this podcast has a Twitter account, and the podcast I do for my students has Twitter. And I think I've got a personal Twitter account. I mean, unless it's been deleted due to inactivity. Yeah, I I don't really... I guess I'm just saying I don't really do social media. I mean, again, I guess I have my YouTube stuff that I do, but that's also for work. I make videos explaining things for my students as a supplement to class, explaining how to use a website, things like that. So I guess it'd be fair to say I use social media more professionally, more much more than I do privately. I don't really use pri- social media for private things. I, I don't like it. So all that being said, I did actually have a really good social uh, experience demonstrating the positive power of social media. So yeah, 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 I know, I know. This is nothing remotely deep or profound about this. You know, everyone I think knows that yes, there are positive things that social media can do. My little tiny little stories, nothing as monumental as the role that Twitter and Facebook played in the Arab Spring or whatever. Now, don't get me wrong. Facebook, Twitter, companies with a huge number of problems and I'd rather they didn't exist in their current form. But, hey, I mean, they do. There's nothing we can do about that at the moment as individual users. I mean, collectively, sure, there's some things we can do. But as an individual, there's not a whole lot you can do to change Twitter or Facebook. So I guess, you I mean, you got to look for the positives because Facebook, Twitter, they ain't going anywhere soon. So... What was my little, tiny, insignificant demonstration of the positive power of social media? Okay, well, yesterday morning, a little before 6 a.m., my cat, Merida, so we have two cats, Merida, she's a little black cat, Merida woke me up for breakfast. Now, this is normal, she's a cat, um, 
But yeah, she usually wakes, Merida wakes me up for breakfast, for her breakfast, anywhere between 3.30 a.m. and whatever time I would have been getting up anyway. Usually she wakes me up somewhere in the 4 to 5 a.m. period. Um, last couple of days have been better. It's only been, actually been a little before 6. Um, and she'll start kneading the blanket. You know, that the thing that cats do, kneading blankets or whatever. So she starts kneading the blanket before moving on to pawing my stomach or thigh. Just, she won't stop. Sometimes if it's really, really early, like two days ago, I mean, cat comes in at 2.30 in the morning and she wants to eat. I mean, she had dinner at like, what, 10.30 p.m.? So it's like four hours later. So yeah, I looked at the cat and was like, nah, cat, not happening. Uh-uh, no. So... Like I say, so sometimes, like I say, really, really early, 2.30 in the morning, I'll push her away and just kind of say, no, we're not doing this, not now. And sometimes she'll actually go away and go back to sleep. And like I say, a couple days ago, it worked. Um, sometimes it doesn't work. Like I say, two days ago, it did work, and she decided to go back to sleep until after 7. I mean, I got up at 7 o'clock two days ago, and Arrow, our other cat, you know, he was he, he was hungry, but he wouldn't eat until Merida woke up. I mean, cats are weird, aren't they? But sorry, a little tangent and a bit. Let's go back. Yesterday. So Merida decided she wanted to eat her breakfast at, like say, a little before 6 a.m. So, like say, a little bit on the late side for her. And seeing as by the time I'd gotten her fed and all that, it was, you know, it was less than an hour than I was, until I was planning to wake up anyway. And I had already had, you know, pretty full night's sleep. I'd gotten to bed relatively early the previous night, and I wasn't really likely to fall back asleep. So, you know, it's, it's after 6 a.m. I'm planning to get up at 7. I'm not really, I'm not fully awake yet, but I'm not really sleepy enough to go back to sleep. So I just lay down in bed and decide I'd lounge around until until 7 a.m. when I was going to wake up. You know, and being the good modern human being that I am, what do I do to pass my time as I'm lounging in bed? Of course, I pull out my phone and I open it dun, 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 to Facebook. Now, like I say, I don't really use it, but like I say, I, I, I do look at it sometimes. And in case you'd forgotten, this is a story not about my cats, but about social media. I can talk more about my cats if anyone wants to hear about them, just not right now. We'll talk about cats some other day. So yeah, I opened up Facebook, then I scrolled just a little bit, and I noticed a post that had been shared by a local bike shop. Now this is a place here in town that specializes in fairly high-end road bikes and mountain bikes, Probably cyclocross uh, bikes, I imagine, too. But anywho, so this bike shop, Bellekeep. Lots of places in Japan have French names for reasons. I mean, I guess it's a bike shop. So for bike shops, it's not that weird because of the history of France and, and bicycles. Um, but yeah, so maybe it's not odd for a bike shop. But like I say, Japan, lots of uh, French-named stores and places. But anyway... So Bellekeep, this bike shop, had shared a post from a woman who was looking for her son's stolen bicycle. And now, so we're talking about not just a regular, you know, Mama Chotty, which is the, the, the granny bikes that you are kind of synonymous with 
East Asian cycle by bicycles. You know, you look at a picture from Japan or from uh, China, and you see bikes. They're all those the bikes that have the the they don't have the the top tube is the the one that goes down. It doesn't have the the straight top tube. It's got the ba- the basket on the front. That's the kind of the standard Japanese mamachari, the Japanese term for it. We're not talking that kind of bike. We're talking about a Chinelli Zydeco. And while the paint job wasn't particularly memorable, I think it was kind of a white and kind of a, a dark gray, almost black color. The make and the model, these are these are kind of memorable. So Japan really is kind of going through this cycling boom. It has been for, for a while now at this point, at least the past decade, maybe even more. And I'm, I'm part of it. You know, I'll fully admit I'm part of the boom here of cycling. And there are all sorts of high-end brands from all over the world. We've got lots of Italian bikes, Taiwanese bikes, high-end Taiwanese bikes, Japanese bikes, American bikes. Brands that really only the most diehard cyclists are really likely to have ever heard of. And Cinelli, while not super rare, is a fairly uncommon Italian brand. So it kind of sticks out. And I noticed the picture in this post, and I thought to myself, hmm, that bike looks kind of familiar. And so I opened the post. So it was shared in Facebook, so I didn't see the full post initially. I just saw the share. I had the picture. I'm like, hmm, that picture, that, that bike looks kind of familiar. So I opened the full post from the woman looking for her son's bike. And apparently, it had been stolen from the bicycle parking area in front of my university, where I teach. And I, I was pretty sure that I had seen a very similar, maybe the same bike, in a different bicycle parking area at our school. So, and I, I often, I very often commute to work on my, my own bicycle. So this, yesterday was another day, I went on my bicycle. So I rode the 11 kilometers to work, and sure enough, that same white and kind of dark gray, almost black Chinelli bike that I, it was sitting there in the bicycle parking that I usually use. And I'm thinking, this bike has been sitting here for a couple of weeks. And sure enough, yesterday it was still there. And when I looked closely at the bike, it was a Cinelli Zydeco, the same brand, the same model that this woman was looking for. And the seat and the bar tape were the same color as in the Facebook post. So, hmm, I'm starting to feel this is probably the bike they're looking for. So I took a couple of photos on my phone and went to my office where I could look more closely to see if things like the sticker showing the bike shop where it was bought looked the same. And sure enough, by the time I looked at those pictures, compared the photos I had taken, I was 99% certain that this was the bike that was the missing one. So I sent a message to the woman with the photos saying, hey, is this your son's bike? I explained that I was an instructor at the school where the bike was parked when it was stolen, and I had seen it in the same place, in this oh, the other parking spot, this, this place where I, where I usually park my bike. I'd seen it sitting there for the past couple of weeks, and it really hadn't moved. And, you know, bike geeks, you know, we kind of notice that kind of thing. Nice bikes don't tend to get abandoned like that and just left for long periods. 
because like I say, it wasn't a super, super high-end bike, but it was a nice bike. And so actually, I sent the message and she sends a response and she said, yeah, she was pretty sure that it was her son's bike, but the lock that was on the bike was not her son's. And it was parked in a place where he never parks his bike. According to her, initially her son had said that it had been stolen like a day or two ahead, before yesterday. And rather than the several weeks that it had been sitting there, like I say, I had seen this bike sitting in this other parking spot for like say a couple of weeks at least, maybe three or maybe even four, almost a month maybe. I don't remember exactly, but it's been there for a while. But say he had told his mother apparently that his bike had been stolen a couple days ago. And apparently he like he was upset and was searching for it on his own because he didn't want to tell his parents because he didn't want them to get mad for having his bike stolen. I mean, dude, it's not your fault that your bike got stolen. You got to come clean sooner than that. Even if you were a little careless when you locked your bike, and I'm not saying he was, I don't know if he how well he locked his bike. Uh, this is a hypothetical talk right now. If your bike is stolen, you got to say something almost immediately if you want to get it back. You know, you got to come clean as soon as possible. Tell, tell someone almost like immediately that your ish has been stolen. And that'll improve the chances of it getting found. I mean, the chances of, of a bike being recovered in some places in this U.S. Are, are slim to none in most places. In Japan, it's probably a little better, but not great, I don't think. So yeah, the, the, say the, the rest of the story really I don't think it's terribly exciting, I don't think. Um, I wasn't around for it, but from what I gather from her Facebook posts and messages, um, her son came to school with his documentation that it was his bike. Uh, and he talked to the administrators at school and they had called the police and the police came and they were able to check out his documents, check the bike and say they were able to confirm that it indeed he was the rightful owner so the lock that wasn't his, right? Remember his mom said that the lock on the in the picture wasn't her son's bike lock. The lock, that lock was removed. I presume it was cut off. Because um, it, it was a pretty hefty lock that was on it. Probably an angle grinder or something they had to get it off. Um, but yeah, so he came. They checked it out. Said, hey, this is your bike. Yes, we can confirm that. So he was able to take his bike home. So happy story. Kid got his bike back. Um, so yeah, like I say, I guess this is a tiny little example of the positive power of social media. But I think most people, even you know, a lot of people who really dislike the whole social media enterprise, I think most of us know that Facebook and Twitter do have some redeeming qualities that do show up from time to time despite all the problems, despite the problems of the company, despite some of the toxicity that exists on these platforms. So there are some positives. So are there any takeaways from this story? I mean, is it just a, a good story of a kid getting his bike back? I mean, it's not just a, a good story. I guess there are some takeaways. You know, one one negative, and that negative is that Japan, despite the perception that it is a safe country, free of crime, bad stuff does happen. I mean, sure, bike theft is a fairly minor thing. But I mean, if you're that young man who had his 
his beloved bike stolen, worried that his mother and father were going to get mad at him because he, you know, had his bike stolen. I mean, it really, bike theft sucks. You know, it's it, that bike means something to someone. And people stealing bikes, it's just a really crappy thing to do. I mean, I get, I get some theft. I mean, sometimes, you know, you don't have money for food. You gotta, you gotta get food. You know, you're trying to, you know, support your family. You're trying to do whatever you can to, you know, make sure people are safe. I get that kind of theft. That makes sense. But stealing someone's bike, especially when it looks like it might've been a fellow university student. I mean, that's a really crappy thing to do. So, like I say, Japan, well, yes, statistics do bear out the fact that relative to other countries like the U.S., maybe crime is lower here. But there are still plenty of bad actors within Japanese society who will do crappy things to other people. Some of them, tiny little things. I mean, not tiny, like I say, for that kid, bike theft was not tiny. But relatively speaking, small-time things like bike theft. But, I mean, there are people who do some pretty horrible stuff here, too. So Japan, it's not, it's not as bad as some places, but it's, it's not perfect either. Now, a more positive takeaway is, I think, that cyclists, we look out for our own. I mean, I think it's pretty common to see people sharing posts like the one I happened to see yesterday. Someone had their, you know, had their beloved bike stolen. It's pretty common to see those posts on social media. I see them in Japanese and English pretty frequently, and they get shared around by everyone, you know, in the cycling community. And I presume it happens in most languages, you know, in most countries. I'm not sure how often these posts help recover a stolen bike, but I have to imagine that, you know, in more than a few cases, you know, the the, the bike has been found the same way, hey, I, I happen to see the post and I've I happen to say, I've seen that bike, you know, so cyclists are a community, you know, even if we've never met one another. I mean, most cyclists will greet each other out on the road, regardless of your ability level, regardless of the kind of bike you're riding, I mean, at least here in Japan. Well, I should say not all of Japan. I mean, in the Tokyo area where I used to live, it really wasn't the case where, you know, you would go riding, especially on the Arakawa River. Uh, so Arakawa River is a big river that runs from, I don't, I think it, I think it starts in Saitama, but it runs mostly through Saitama Prefecture and then into Tokyo and empties out into Tokyo Bay. The Arakawa River path is one of the busiest bike paths in Japan, I think. And mostly just because there's so many people in the, in the Tokyo area. And people would often look angry or annoyed, like, when they're on the path. I mean, seriously, you'd, you'd ride past them going the opposite direction and they'd be making this face like they're really pissed off at the world or maybe someone farted in their face and it's like, it smells horrible. I don't know. They just had this horrible look on their face. And it's like, I'm thinking, I mean, if cycling makes you feel this way, you're doing it wrong. You know, you should be having some fun, enjoying yourself, even if you're, you know, it's it's what it wasn't even just feeling. It wasn't a look on their face of like their exertion because exerting yourself. There's one face like I'm I'm working really hard. No, this was a I'm pissed off face. Like I say, if you're doing if 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 that's the face you make when you're cycling, you're doing something wrong. And coming from Hokkaido, it was kind of a big shock to me because every cyclist in Hokkaido would give 
a head nod or a wave as you passed. I mean, seriously, every single cyclist, okay, maybe a bit of an exaggeration, but not much. I mean, seriously, Hokkaido cyclists, really super friendly. Tokyo area, not so much. I mean, if you got off the Arakawa River, it was better, but, you know, on the on the, the flat paths along the rivers, people just didn't look like they were having fun or friendly. If you got in the, into the mountains around Tokyo, it was better. People would get off the main paths. It, it, they were a little more friendly, but yeah. Anyway, so being back here in northern Japan, maybe not quite far north as Hokkaido, but still not Tokyo metro area ridiculousness. Cyclists, team, we're back to where cyclists seem to be a little friendlier. And maybe it's just living in such a crowded area like Tokyo. It just makes people more annoyed about life in general, so not just cycling. I mean, I'm sorry here we're getting back off topic, but anyway, yeah. Cyclists, like I say, we tend to look out for each other. You know, roadies, mountain bikers, cyclocross, BMX, whatever. I mean, yeah, there's lots of different factions within the cycling world, you know, each with their own uniform. But... At the end of the day, we're all cyclists and we're kind of watching out for each other because, I mean, sometimes you got to do it. So, I mean, let's just go on full after-school special with a message here. I guess the, the message is take care of each other. I mean, seriously, even if you don't always see eye-to-eye with someone on the appropriateness of wearing spandex or what's the appropriate sock length, I mean, we got to watch out for each other. So, I... I think I'm going to end it here. So on that note, I'm a bounce. Peace.